Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Taking Your Next Step podcast from Collegians for Christ. Through each episode, we will journey together focusing on knowing what you believe and why you believe it. If you are eager, like I am, to strengthen your faith, then take your next step now by joining us in today's episode. Have you really thought much about what it means to call yourself a Christian? We identify as a believer. We identify as a Christian. And in doing so, many times we'll use symbols. We'll use the symbol of a fish. You'll see that on the back of a car. You'll see a cross, which is the predominant symbol that we would use to identify with Christianity. Uh, we would see it on necklaces. We would see it on the top of church steeples. You'll see it just in the going down the highway. Sometimes people will have a cross. Uh, you'll see it in cemeteries and so forth. Uh, when we are wearing a cross or we pull into the parking lot of a church that has a cross on the front of it or a cross on a steeple, what exactly are we identifying with? We think about a cross. Well, the cross is this. It's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of suffering. It's a symbol of sacrifice and service. That's what the cross is. And I think sometimes we identify as a Christian, but we don't realize the full totality, if you will, of what we're identifying with. We may wear a cross and it looks good and we're saying I'm a Christian, but I think sometimes we lose sight of what we're truly identifying with. We've been walking through the book of First Peter in our podcast episodes here and very practical, uh, very helpful for me personally. Uh, we're going to talk about suffering as a Christian. When you think about the cross, you think about suffering. I mean, that's what Christ did on the cross. We understand the cross was his place of death, his place of suffering that produced for you and I eternal life. But as we identify with Christ so many times through scripture, he told us to pick up our cross and follow him. Remember, we're talking about uh, the main theme of our podcast is taking your next step. And we're emphasizing how we are to take our next step after Christ to be a better follower of him. But he tells us, as you follow me, you need to pick up your cross. You need to die to self. You need to crucify the, the flesh. So all these are uh, illustrations, they're, they're pictures, they're invitations to you and I to enter into the suffering that Christ experienced. Now, that's not a prosperity message. That's not one maybe you want to turn on your podcast and say, okay, I'm going to be super encouraged, but I think you will as we go through this. Because when we think about suffering, we typically think about it in the negative. Rightfully so. If I ask you, hey, do you want to suffer today? No. And you ask me, absolutely not. I do not want to suffer. But we understand, as Peter brings this out in Scripture, that suffering produces some tremendous uh, truths in our life, but also a tremendous way for you and I to relate to Jesus Christ and also to glorify God in and through our lives. And so we won't read the entire passage. We'll just kind of walk down through it. But First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 is where we find ourselves. First two verses, he says, Beloved, and when you hear that word, he's just a very endearing term that he's writing to these Christians. He says, look, beloved, uh, you people that are so dear to me, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice insomuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So we understand we will be tested or you will be tested. 
Now, the trials are going to come. He said, look, think it not a strange thing when the fiery trial is to try you. Meaning, look, it's going to come. And don't think it's weird. Don't think you're the only one that is experiencing the trials, the, the fiery trials that come. Peter talked about this in the very beginning of the book. He said this in verse number six of chapter one, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So he relates our suffering with the most precious sought after uh, metal that is on earth. So we are to experience these fiery trials. Well, fiery means to burn. It relates to a furnace used to purify gold or silver to remove the impurities that after it goes through that fiery furnace, after it burns, after the fiery trial, as we relate it to our lives, we will become pure. We will, we will remove the sin. We will remove uh, the things in our life that hinder us, that hold us back. It's interesting in Scripture, fire is a symbol of the holiness of God. Think about the burning bush. Fire is a symbol of the presence of God. And as you and I experience these fiery trials, we're experiencing the presence and the holiness of God to do what? To grow us. You see, these, these trials are to do what? They're to try us. That means an experiment. You're putting something to the proof. Why? To determine what it is. To determine what something is. Is this person a real Christian? What ultimately these trials do? Do you and I identify as a Christian just by word to say, hey, I'm a Christian? Or do we truly identify in word, in heart, in thought, in action? Meaning when the time gets tough, you and I are still going to identify as a Christian. You see, there's some trials that come into our lives that are just simply a part of life. Others, unfortunately, are a result of our sin. We bring them on ourselves. The trials he has in mind here are trials that come because we're faithful to God. You mean the more faithful I am to God, do you mean he's going to allow trials into my life? Absolutely. Sometimes we think the if we'll be more faithful to God, we'll serve him better, then the trials won't come. That's not biblical Christianity. The trials will come because it is evidence, honestly, that God is working in your life. We should count it a privilege. We should count it a benefit, which is why Peter says this. He says, rejoice, beloved. Think it not a strange thing. Don't think you're weird. Don't think it's just something odd going on with you. Rather, rejoice. Why? Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. So you and I should rejoice in the trials. Why? Because they're meant to produce growth in our life. How do trials produce growth in our life? Well, they refine us. They, uh, they help us to see what's important, what's not important. They take things in our lives that we don't need and pull them away. It helps us to see if our faith is real. How can you even know if you have faith if faith is never tested? Faith has to be tested to know if it's a real faith, if it's a deep faith. And remember, you and I are never more like Jesus Christ than when we suffer. And that's what Peter's talking about here, that we are partakers. We join together. We participate with him in his sufferings when you and I are tried and you and I suffer. So sometimes we have to lift up our eyes off of the situation and put our eyes where? On him. And think about the privilege that it is that you and I get to partake or to join with the Lord in his sufferings. Honestly, it is an indication that God is working in your life. 
and that God counts you worthy of the investment and time to pour into your life to bring growth. It could be God just looks at you and says, nah, whatever, I'm not going to waste my time there. You see, the trials that God allows and brings into our life to produce growth is evidence that he's actively working in your life. It's evidence of his existence. It's evidence of his love towards you. As a, as a parent to a child, will discipline and, and will encourage and will put trials out there to see how they're going to react, to see if they're going to do what you've instructed them to, if, you're, if they're going to learn. And that shows the evidence of God working in your life. So not only will you be tested, but our passage tells us you will be reproached. Verse 14 says, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, that if there is not a conditional, it's a fulfilled condition, meaning since this is going to happen or in view of the fact of the fact that you're going to be reproached. It's not, it may or may not happen. So if you be reproached for the name of Christ, watch this, happier you. So if you're under trials, rejoice. If you're being reproached, which means to insult you, it means to ridicule, ridicule you, it means to use some type of abusive language towards you, for what? For your faith, because you identify with Christ, because you wear the cross, because you say you're a church member, because of the way you live your life, because of your testimony, because you are a witness, because you are outspoken about the correct morals in a perverse culture. People will ridicule you. They will insult you because of your faith, because of your convictions, or because of your morals. Have you been reproached? Have you been insulted before? If you have not, there's going to be a time when you will. Many of you listening probably have had that, whether it be in class, whether it be with a family member, whether it be with coworkers, whatever the case may be. And I think as we talk about suffering, I don't know that you and I maybe understand it to the depth and the reality that the Christians Peter was writing to did at that time. If you remember, they're scattered abroad. Uh, he's writing to these Christians that are scattered because of persecution, severe persecution, meaning they've lost homes, they've lost family members, they've lost jobs, their financial situations is in ruin. We talk about maybe our government is not exactly the best. When you have Rome breathing down your neck, you have a terrible government that's coming at you and for you. This is what they were living in. Now, that doesn't mean our passage is irrelevant. You and I need to take what this passage says and adapt it and relate it to 2023, where we're at now. And you and I do experience suffering. We do experience ridicule. I've experienced that, uh, whether, uh, whether in work, whether with family, whether with friends, whether in the community, whatever the case may be. Some of you may have grew up one way and got saved and God transformed your life and people look at you and they ridicule you because of your convictions. You may be in a place of work where you are a Christian and you do not do certain things or you do certain things based on your faith that they think are ludicrous. They think are silly. They think are dumb. And they say so they begin to ridicule you. You may have been denied the promotion at work because of your faith, because of your stance. That all is reproach. But notice what reproach does. Watch. He says, look, if you're reproached, you are happy. Uh, Peter, are you living in the real world? That's what I want to ask sometimes. You're telling me if I'm going through fiery trials, not just a trial, but one that burns, it hurts, right? When you think about fire, fire hurts. And you want me to rejoice in that. 
Now you tell me when I'm insulted, which I do not like. When I'm insulted, I want to insult back. When I'm reproached or ridiculed or, you know, used in some type of tear-down type language or talking about you or tearing down your character, your name, man, you want to fire back at people. But he says, look, when this happens, don't be sad. <laughs> don't be mad. Happy are ye. What on earth are you talking about, Peter? Well, watch this. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. You see, the reproach will produce the ministry of the Spirit in your life. In reproach, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will minister unto you. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to experience God's glory. Think about that. Through the Spirit in the trials and persecution, you can experience it now. And reproach will also glorify God. Being reproached glorifies God. Why is that? Because it's essentially against God. And you are identifying with him, being a true follower of Christ. And because you identify with him, you are a partaker of him in these sufferings. It therefore glorifies God. And our aim in life is what? It's ultimately to glorify God in all that we do, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the what? The glory of God. So whether you're reproached, you're insulted, whether you're built up, whether you get the promotion or you don't, whether someone says something against your faith or for your faith, we glorify God. You see, sometimes we complain about suffering, and rightfully so. I don't want to suffer. But it's the one thing that allows us to do the main thing. That is to glorify God. So we see we are going to be tested. We are going to be reproached. And as he finishes up this passage here, he tells us we're going to suffer. And I think suffer really encompasses the whole idea of trials, of reproach, of persecution, everything. But as we come down here, he says in verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as a evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. He said, look, don't suffer for doing wrong. Don't suffer for something that you've done that justifies you suffering. He says this in verse 16, yet if any man suffers a Christian, he says, if you're going to suffer, suffer because you stand for Christ. Suffer because you follow in the footsteps of Christ. Suffer because you're willing to stand up and work in classroom, in your dorm room, in your community, where it is for what is right. Right now, too many Christians are identifying with Christ, but scared to stand up for truth, scared to speak forth what is right, to say, look, that's enough. No, I will not go for this. Now, we understand we are to speak the word in love. I think sometimes people will go one of two ways. We'll go too far to the left or too far to the right. We'll go too far in the way we won't say anything at all. We just say, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to suffer, and I'm not going to say anything. And then some people want to find ways to be insulted. They want to provoke people by saying stuff, saying stuff or getting in arguments or finding ways to be very boisterous. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with being boisterous and, and outspoken, but doing it in a way that's going to provoke people to argue with you. For, for an example, we see different groups as we travel around the campuses. And some of these groups are, uh, some of the things they say provoke fights, they provoke things being thrown, they provoke things being said to them. And I've had people ask me so many times over the years, so how many times have you been kicked off the campus? How many times has someone thrown something at you? How many times has someone cussed at you or screamed at you or, you know, something like that? And I look at them and I say, I don't know that that's ever happened. And they go, well, you must not be doing a good work on the campus. 
Or, hey, every time I go, no, that happens. And they just kind of question, you know, what we're doing. I think there's great truth in speaking the truth in love. I think there's great truth in being wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. I think there's great truth in not trying to provoke a fight, meaning I want to suffer intentionally so that I can suffer like this passage is saying. Now, we suffer in various other ways. We do get resistance. We do have different things that happen. But because of our approach on campus and our approach to students and faculty and staff, we're received in a different way. Um, And so I don't want to suffer because I have intentionally caused suffering. I want to suffer because I identify with Christ. Christ did flip over the tables one time, right, in the temple. But all the other times, Christ spoke to people out of love, care, consideration, and he met them where they're at. He didn't bring suffering on himself intentionally. They didn't like his message. The Pharisees didn't like him as a person. They didn't like what he was trying to do to their establishment, to their power, to their authority. And that's where the suffering came. But you and I are going to suffer. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief. Don't cause the suffering intentionally is what he's saying, whether for evil or for good. Right? Yet if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And then he finishes up here, and this is where we're in that. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? What he's saying here is, if you and I as believers are suffering now on earth, and God has our back, right, what will the suffering be of those unbelievers for all eternity that are not saved? If you and I experience the suffering that we experience here on earth as believers, what will be the result of the suffering and evil without God's hand? It's hard to imagine. It's hard to fathom. You see, God will avenge. We don't have to worry about getting at people and getting uh, people back. God says, avenge not. I am the avenger. But we will suffer. But suffering does this as well. So trials do it. Being insulted does it. And suffering does it. It says, but let him not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed if you're suffering, but let him glorify God on this behalf. On what behalf? On the fact that you're suffering. So your life can glorify God through trials, through suffering, and through insults. So no matter how people may treat us, judgment is coming for everyone. No matter how severe the suffering is you face, Remember this, Christians are kept by God until the return of Christ. So it doesn't matter how bad it gets. Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. He is the creator of your soul, and he is the one that makes you new or made you a new creation, and he has the power to keep our souls. And so you and I are to commit our lives to him that will keep us unto the end. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please share it with a friend or subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can connect with Collegians for Christ online for more information and resources at cfccampusministry.com.